Welcome to the Green Edge Podcast with Michael Cross and me, Fraser Harper. This is our update for the week ending 28th of July 2023. Would you believe this is our 52nd weekly Green Edge update? Yes, just a year ago, Dr. Michael and I decided we really didn't have enough to do, what with writing our weekly posts and compiling our reports roundups, and decided that a weekly podcast was just what we needed to keep us out of our respective partners' hair and fill our time down there in the garden sheds that we'd converted into makeshift offices. So the Green Edge podcast was born. We said we'd give it a week or two to try it out, and we're still here. In fact, it's been added to, with a smattering of commissioned podcasts and a new series we're just getting ready for City and Guilds. Oh, did we mention we're doing a thing with City and Guilds? We may have done. Michael, thus far at least, it's been a pleasure. Highlights for you from our last year of shouting into cyberspace? I think two highlights. One is the fact we're listened to in 40, over 40 countries now, which is quite a highlight. I think the other one is our conversation we had with WPI Economics, Lightcast and Data City. And I think that was a really interesting four-way conversation we had with them about the complexity of definition, measurement, and progress in relation to the green economy around employment, predominantly rather than skills. But I thought that was a really productive use of people's time, and it was very effectively put together in minutes, relatively speaking. How about yourself? I think for me, I would say some of the insights we get from people like Dee Halligan of Fourth Kick, who we talked to in January about the work that Fourth is doing around shaping the future of designing and making in schools. That was certainly one of them. And uh, Tony Wilson at the Institute for Employment Studies, who has a great handle on the UK labour market and who we've just talked to again, incidentally, for the City and Guilds podcast. But I think the most fun I've had personally over the past year is when we've had stuff we wanted to put into the podcast, but needs a bit of, shall we say, improvisation to make it listenable. Like a soundbite I had from Sky of a Michael Gove speech, which was so bad. Well done there, Sky. I had to put the whole thing through a voice synthesizer to make it listenable. And the time back in March when I was in Zurich Airport en route to Cape Town recording a monologue on Jet Zero, I was actually sitting in a corner of one of the public areas with my recording gear out and my coat over my head to blank out the background sound. <laughs> Thank goodness I was there among the quiet Swiss gnomes instead of somewhere like Chennai. Actually, I just listened back to that piece and you can hear the odd aircraft taking off. Anyway, on to this week's post, Michael. We're writing about further education this week and the disparities between the ways they can get funding for the new green skills academies that are starting to appear. What's the issue here? The issue is around freedom to use the adult education budget. And if you're in a combined authority like Manchester, like Birmingham, who've got devolved powers over that budget and can use it more freely, if you're outside the 22 combined authority areas, you get that freedom if you've got boot camp cash and you have freedom there, but there are other restrictions come into play. But on the positive side, what we see is series of local networks of FE colleges forming, both within combined authorities and outside, to share the workload, de-risk the problems they've got going forward in relation to net zero and other parts of the economy. And I think that is a very positive sign. And the LSIPs have had a role to play in that, certainly within England. Now, we assume that these green skills academies will be churning out green skilled people for all these green jobs that the government talks about. 
But what are we seeing in terms of real supply and demand in the green job market? It's quite intriguing, especially if you take work from the Resolution Foundation and the Climate Change Committee. The actual number of new green jobs, as opposed to existing jobs that shall be coming green, ranges between, depending on which estimate you see, 130,000, up to 725,000. I think of greater interest to some extent is the fact that the Climate Change Committee thought around about 20% of all current job holders will have direct and significant impact of greening going on. Another 20% will be seen as enabling green roles, and then about 60%, the remaining, will be indirectly impacted. Now, 20% of our labour market is 6 million people. So if you take the two bits, the enabling and the directly impacted, that's 12 million people currently in work will have a role to play in the greening of our economy, the decarbonisation of homes, of transport and the like. So that creates a huge wave of demand for FE system to actually provide those skills, both within company and people on open programmes, and also for citizens who want to gen themselves up and to extend and formalise the programmes we've seen around carbon literacy or community energy groups. And we take a look at the way the age splits in the demographic are going to change or are projected to change at least between now and, say, 2050. There are going to be fewer young people, aren't there? There are. The dependency ratio certainly starts to shift, i.e. the numbers of people not in work to those people in work, which is quite a significant shift. The numbers of new people growing the labour market will drop from a 250,000 per annum for 20 years to about 70,000. And it's those macro flows which affect the ability of the economy to adjust. Because if you think about most labour markets, you inject new people every year as they leave university, they leave college, they leave school. And they bring with them, one would like to think, the most up-to-date sets of skills into the economy. And if that drops, we've then got to be more clever about the use of the skills we've already got within people at the workplace. So again, a major role for FE colleges to really think that through and how they can work in their local areas. I think you and me will get back to college at some stage, won't we? We will. I think they'll be opening it up to um, under 85s into the future. (laughs) And of course, as ever, you can find this week's post with some rather decent maps, though we say so ourselves, on greenedge.substack.com. And you can also find this podcast on all the major streaming platforms, including Apple, Google and Amazon. Now, here's an interesting one. We saw last week that the internal combustion engine may be far from dead, with Renault and Geely signing a joint venture agreement to launch a new powertrain technology company that will, among other things, be looking at synthetic fuels and hydrogen as part of the solution for decarbonisation in the automotive industry. So, e-ice, Michael. Well, it's interesting. If you think of Geely, though, you might think of some of the motor gods, but they also own companies like Volvo. And Volvo is a major truck manufacturer. And already the evidence is there that fully electrifying a truck is possible, but it's more likely we'll find hydrogen working into the truck sector. And if you look across Europe, we've got quite an extensive hydrogen refueling system being put into place to allow that to take place. But it'd be interesting to see how that develops because you've got this enormous organization they're creating, about 20,000 staff, 17 engine plants, five R&D centers. But they've already got people lined up because they're already working closely with Proton, Nissan, Mitsubishi, Punch, Torino. So they've actually got a large base 
But you also wonder at the same time, is it partly them de-risking aspects of their business and actually trying to pull their investment funds? Because they're talking about investing the best part of $8 billion into this joint venture in the short term. But we'll watch it with great interest because it obviously has implications. And the combustion engine, as we know it, is remarkably efficient in converting energy into motion. And so you can understand why people might want to extend its life, hence Toyota and its big investment in hybrids. Well, we read they're looking to headquarter the company here in the UK, although the main two operating centres will be in Spain and China. And as you say, Renault is manufacturing powertrains all over the world, really, in Brazil, Argentina, as well as France, Spain, and so on. But Geely already owns the London Electric Vehicle Company, and they're making electric black cabs there in the Midlands, aren't they? They do. I think it's in Coventry. And Steve, yeah. Steve, yes. Yeah. But taxes have moved from diesel to electric. And the beauty with a vehicle that stops and starts frequently like a bus, you can have multiple charging points and you can go to induction systems that give you extra fuel. And I'd imagine we'll find different charging systems going into place for what I would call public service vehicles, which taxis basically are. Well, this doesn't have a skills implication as yet for the UK, but it's certainly a story worth watching as we go forward, Michael. It is. It is. Next Tuesday is the 1st of August, so we'll be up nice and early to publish the reports roundup. What can we expect this month? We've got, I think, is it going out as a single post or do we have to split it again? To be honest, I haven't done it yet, but I think it's probably going to be a split post. You you have so many. I think there's a rich crop of material. And the thing that surprises is the volume that's coming out during the summer. I think July, we might be hitting 60, 65. And of course, there's always a delay because we do it at the first of the month, covering the previous month or two. The volume and quality of the material, I think, is improving. And we're getting greater sectoral spread. We're seeing more work now coming through on nature and land management, which was one of the pots of jobs which is going to be significant in the emerging and growth of the green economy. And now that is getting proper and more detailed coverage. One side comment, there are a number of people who are creating important materials, but they're putting them behind paywalls. I think that's quite sad. And I think it should be nice if people could make things openly and freely available, particularly to the educational sector of nowhere else. Heaven forbid that we ever should put the green edge behind a paywall. Exactly right. Anyway, lots of summer readings. So everybody put down your Jeffrey Archer and your Jilly Cooper and pick all this green stuff up. I'm showing my edge there now. Jeffrey Archer and Jilly Cooper. Thank you for listening to this Green Edge podcast. This podcast series accompanies the Green Edge newsletter, to which you can subscribe at greenedge.substack.com. The Green Edge is produced by Blue Mirror Insights.